0: 19, Psalm 119, as we continue looking at that portion of God's Word, today we are in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 49, so Psalm 119, 49, reading from the ESV translation, here's what God's Word says. "'Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction.' That your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your love. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do thank you this morning for the truth of your word. Thank you for granting us this word that we can today ingest like good food for our souls. We thank you that it is a word that is from you, and therefore it's authoritative. We can rely upon it to give us direction, to help us see clearly the world and our way in the world and the way to you. We thank you that it is necessary, you've made it necessary, for there is no other word like it. It is uniquely inspired in such a way that it gives us instructions that no other word gives, and you've been kind enough to give it to us. We also acknowledge that it's sufficient, for in it you've given us the instructions we need to know how to live as followers of our Lord in this life, to be led to your very gates, to be received on the other side of this life through the instructions contained in its pages. We thank you too, Lord, just for the fact that you have granted it to us and that we have it with us today. We pray, therefore, for grace that as its words enter our ears, they also may enter our hearts, and that these words may affect how we live, not merely how we would think this morning, but they would affect our lives forever. Thank you, Lord, that you, by your Spirit, can make this happen. We pray that you will do so, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, it is a joy to be with you to open God's Word, and as we look at this this morning, I would ask you to just consider the fact that this is part of a section of Scripture in Psalm 119 that is full of a word about God's Word. In fact, if you were paying attention this morning, even to this eight-verse section, you would have seen that in that eight-verse section, there are six different words used to describe God's Word. Several of them are uh, uniquely used. For example, in verse 49, you see the word word. Verse 50, you see the word promise. 51, you see the word law. 52, you see rules. 53, you see law. 54, you see statutes. 55, you see law, and 56, you see precepts. There are all these different words, but there is one word, if you notice, that was repeated three times. That's the word law. That is a translation of the Hebrew word Torah. And if you've been around, studied a little bit, you, you know that the word Torah is often used to describe the first five books of the Old Testament. That's frequently what they call the Torah. But the word Torah means more than just literally. The fullest meaning of the word means more than just those first five books. In fact, the word itself comes from a a different word from what we would normally think of when we talk about the word law. Because when we talk about law, we think about those rules that tell us what we can do or what we shouldn't do. If you follow this list of laws and rules, you won't get into trouble with the police or with God, we would say in this case. But the word law, the word that's translated law, means a little bit different from that. It comes from a verb that means to throw or to shoot, like to shoot an arrow. And in both cases, both of those would involve choosing a direction and launching a projectile, whether it's the the rock or ball from your hand or the arrow shot from the the bow. You choose a direction. And that concept is played into this word, into the the, the noun, Torah, Torah. Some people also think it may have to do with the idea, this is speculation, I think, but some of them say it may have to do with the Old Testament practice, the Old Covenant practice of using sometimes lots, casting lots to discern God's will. They would pray for God to answer the casting of lots, and they would cast the lots, throwing it at them, and then those lots would be God's answer to give them direction. Now, in the New Covenant, we no longer do that. That's something that was an Old Covenant practice but with a new covenant, we have the teaching of the apostles, we have the Lord's gospel, and we have the Holy Spirit. So the casting of lots is something that is no longer practiced by God's people. And yet, God's direction is still something that we need very much. I remember years ago as I was traveling to my uh, my family home up in North Missouri, I was traveling with my family going down Highway 36 within just a few miles of our, of our old home. And And as we approached, suddenly the road was blocked. It was blocked by a a, a barricade that said road flooded. Now, that was a problem because I was so familiar with that road, I hadn't bothered to look for alternate routes. And this was long enough ago that smartphones weren't routinely in place. I didn't really have one. I didn't have a GPS. How would I know how to get to my old home, the home I, I was trying to get to without having a GPS or something to give me instructions? I didn't know what else to do, so I drove up the ramp off of the highway. And at the top of the highway ramp, there was a MoDOT worker. And I rolled down my window and said, how do I get to the town I was trying to go to? And he described a roundabout way. I had to head north a long ways and had to head west a long ways and head south a long ways. And finally, that would get me back to the other side of the flooded area on the highway. I had no choice but to take his directions and Pray that he knew what he was talking about. I hoped he was right, and I followed his directions, and you know, he was right and he was honest. And I followed his instructions, and after what would have been a five-mile drive on the normal highway, a 37-mile detour to come five miles further down the road, I was able to, we were able to get to our destination because we relied upon somebody who knew the way and who gave the right directions. That's what we're talking about when we talk about this word Torah. We're talking about God's instructions or God's directions. And whatever word we use, whether it be word or instructions or precepts, it comes back to the heart of God giving his people directions. And if we would get to the right destination, it is urgent that we follow the right directions. So this morning, let's look at what the psalmist Inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us about his journey. First of all, notice he says in these first couple of verses, Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. One of the things that we often look for in scripture is we look for the directions that God is giving us, we look for the commands. One of the things that's really weird about this particular passage of eight verses, there's exactly one imperative verb in the entire eight verses. It's the very first word in this passage, the word that says remember, but guess what's so weird about it? It is an imperative spoken by the psalm writer to God. If you will, the form of command is being given by the psalmist to God. Now, Did God look back at him and say, who are you to tell me what to do? No, he didn't do that, did he? Because there's another aspect to the imperative rather than just being a command. It can also be an earnest plea, such as when a little child runs up to mommy and daddy and says, hold me. Mommy and daddy don't look back and say, who are you to tell me what to do? But you scoop up that little one as soon as you can and, hug him and love them. That's more the idea of what the psalmist is doing here. Remember your word to me. And the Lord looks back and says, yes, I remember my word to you. But notice what it says about that memory to which he is called. He says to remember this word to your servant in which you have made me hope. We don't know exactly what word, or perhaps the whole word, the whole whole context of God's word, the whole content of God's word is what he's talking about, or maybe it's a specific thing. But he says that this word to God's servant has given him hope. No, a word about the word hope. That word translated hope, first of all, it's important to understand that when the word hope appears in this context in Scripture it's used a little bit differently from how we normally use the word hope in our normal conversations. What do I mean by that? Well, consider if I were to say, boy, I hope that it doesn't rain today. Or maybe, I hope that it does rain today. Or I hope that the weather is good next Friday night for our bonfire out back. Or I hope my favorite team wins. Or I hope my favorite candidate wins on election day. Or... What we mean by the use of the word hope there is that we wish or earnestly desire that that thing come to pass. But there's by no means guarantee that it will. We just really wish that it will come to pass. I would submit to you this morning that in this context and frequently in the pages of Scripture, the word hope is not used in that way. In this case, as it is usually used in Scripture, I would submit... It is a word that should be better translated or understood as a confident expectation. That is, he's not saying, you've given me this word, God, and I really hope it's true. He's saying, Lord, you've given me this word, and I have confident expectation that it's true. I'm banking on it. I'm betting my life on it. You've given me this word, and I trust you. He then goes on to say, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. He's suffering from an affliction. He, he has this word of hope from God while this affliction is ongoing. So I would bring up a second aspect to that word that is translated hope. For that word has strongly woven in it not only confident expectation, but the idea of waiting, waiting. For the word could just as easily be translated, you caused me to wait on this. Think, for example, if you had a a particular restaurant that you wanted to go to. As far as you're concerned, it's the best restaurant in town, best restaurant in the world. And you want to bring some special company and go with them uh, to this restaurant. And you go there, and they say it's going to be a two-hour wait. Now, what are you going to do in that case? Now, there's a lot of factors that may come into place. But if your objective is to eat at the best restaurant in town... Unless you're going to compromise on your objective, you're going to wait for two hours. you find a way to make do, and you'll eat there two hours later. Now, I know there's other ways. You may come back later or whatever. But you want to stick with that which is worth waiting for. Or let's say you have a favorite barber or a favorite hairstylist, and you, you, have, you go there, you have an appointment, you show up, but they're running way behind. And it's going to be a couple of hours, but there's another barber or stylist that's ready right there, right now but you really, really, really like that barber or stylist. Do you jump into the one that's ready right now, or do you wait on the one that you really trust, who will do it right? Well, if you really, really want the hair done the way that you desire, you wait. Even if it's inconvenient, you're going to wait a while, because you want the right one to do it the right way. Now, we would wait for a good restaurant or for a good barber. We'll wait the 10 minutes at the drive-thru until they get the, the, the fries that we want cooked or whatever, How much more important is it then to wait upon the promise of God to be fulfilled in its time rather than to settle for something less or something else? For see, that's what he is saying here. Remember your word to the servant in which you have made me hope or you've given me to wait, Lord. I I have this word of promise from you. I have a word of hope from you. And I'm in affliction right now. And Lord... There are other alternatives being offered to me to resolve this affliction. I'm being offered other ways out. But I remember that you've given me a promise. And I'm going to wait on you. Even though it means the affliction is going to last a while longer. The intensity of it may not be abated yet. I'm not going to compromise because I trust you. Because I believe, and I know by faith, that your promise gives me life. I love the fact that the, if you will, the imperative of this, of this person does not come. The psalmist does not come and to say, "Lord, here is my suggestion for how to handle my affliction." He comes and says, "Lord, you remember your word about how to handle my affliction. You remember your word about." what you want me to do, or your plans for me. This is not a prayer in which the person is coming to seek that God will do the psalmist's will. This is a prayer that God would do God's will for the psalmist. That is a mature prayer, my friends. Think about it another way. When the Lord Jesus came and he taught his disciples to pray, they came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he taught them to pray a series of imperatives. Father, make your name holy, make your kingdom come, make your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, a series of imperatives that the Lord said, pray these to God, starting with God's kingdom, starting with making his name holy. We see the same spirit, the same concept here. The psalmist is saying, Lord, you do what you want, and I'm going to trust you because I know that your word gives me life. That's where he's coming from. It is an urgent thing to look to the Lord and to trust in his word, to trust in him as the source of life. We don't know what the affliction was. We don't know exactly what was going on. We don't even really know what his promise was, but it might have been something like what we read in Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, the psalmist there, we know his name was David. And David was suffering also from a time of turmoil and distress. And reading from Psalm 34, 19 and following, here's what David said about the promise that he had from the Lord. He said, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That was the promise that the psalmist was looking for, that concept that God would preserve his life and in due time would deliver him from the affliction. And he had enough faith in the Lord that even while the affliction endured, he would trust God in it rather than seek an alternative way out of it. My friends, each of us in this world faces one kind of affliction or trial or test. Maybe right now you're going through a a severe trial. Or maybe it's one that maybe isn't the most severe you've ever faced. But it's still something that, that you're puzzling about how to deal with it, how to address it. My question to you is, are you looking to the Lord for the answer to that trial? Are you looking into the scriptures to see how the Lord would help you address it? Are you willing to wait on God's solution or are you wanting to forge ahead with a compromise? Trying to get what you want now before God has provided the answer to you. That's dangerous ground. But even if we would suffer for a while in this present age, not getting the thing that we think we should have or not having the answer to our affliction presented to us today, if we have direction from the Lord to wait on him, to trust in his word in which he has made us hope, then we have the promise that his word, what he has said, will give us life. Trust in the Lord. It's urgent to look and wait on the Lord. But notice the psalmist not only mentions the reality of the Lord's promise and the fact that it gives life, notice that it also addresses some of the temptations that can be set the one who is waiting on the Lord. In fact, it specifically shows three avenues of attack that the world can bring against one who is waiting on the Lord to bring a solution. Notice, first of all, in verse 51, it says, The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law or from your instructions, your directions. The insolent utterly deride me. and That is the first line of attack is what people say. If you are depending upon the Lord and upon his word, the fact is that in this world, you're going to be a little different from most people. In fact, very different from some people. And the very fact that you believe in the existence of God and depend upon his word is going to be treated by some people as an object of ridicule. They will not only ridicule God, they will ridicule you. Look what the psalmist says, the insolent utterly deride me. Today, one of the chief things that the world uses in its attacks on other people is what we call public shaming. They will try to shame people. They will try to humiliate people. They will try to get people to back down from their view or at least hide their view by humiliating or shaming them. My friends, that's nothing new. The psalmist is saying, the insolent utterly deride me. Deride means to ridicule, to hold in scorn, to show contempt for, or yes, to shame But look at his response, I do not turn away from your instructions, from your directions, from your law. That somehow in the midst of this derision, the psalmist finds the grace to not quit his waiting on the Lord. Notice another line of attack that the world will use, that it uses against the psalmist or that it could use he mentions it. It, He doesn't mention specifically as a line of attack, and yet it is one that we see used quite frequently. Verse 52, when I think of your rules from of old, I want to stop at that phrase. Your rules from of old. The word translated rules could also be translated judgments or rulings. It's what God has declared about a thing. It's interesting Depending on who wrote this psalm, it could have been written anywhere between 2,500 to 3,000 years ago. That's a long time ago. But notice the psalmist is is describing God's rulings and he says, they're old. Those rules of God were old even then. Now we fast forward or slow forward 2,500 to 3,000 years and we look back at God's old word. And one of the things we hear today in dismissing scripture is that it's old. People will dismiss its teachings because they will say, well, it was culturally bound. It was a product of, you fill in the blank, society. And, and these words represent their view on things, but not really what God said. But the scripture tells us differently, doesn't it? The scripture writer saw that these were God's rules from of old. You know, there can be two equal and opposite errors when we consider things that are rules from of old, old teachings or old practices. One error is to embrace something merely because it's old. It's been around a long time. We hold on to something just because it's old. People are creatures of habit. We tend to do that. I mean, let's face it. Most of you this morning, if you've been here repeatedly, you're sitting pretty much where you sit every time you come. You probably parked your car outside pretty much where you park every time. And and, and so forth with each of us. I do the same thing. We're creatures of habit. And if something's been an entrenched practice, it's very, very difficult to break that. Even if it's not grounded in something good, that can be a problem. Holding unto something just because it's old is, is, is not necessarily right. The Lord Jesus ran into that during his earthly ministry, didn't he? One of the things that people saw him doing was he was breaking their traditions, and they didn't like it one bit. He was breaking them by bringing God's word, but they didn't like it. And so they rejected him and rejected God. There's another problem, though, that is people who throw away something merely because it's old. And they don't like it, and they discard it because it's old. But the psalmist looks at this. It isn't merely because it's old that he likes it, but look what he says. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. He embraces these rules, not because they're old, but because they're God's rules. They're God's teachings, and they're still true today. When God said, you will have no other gods before me, that was still true. When God said, you shall not commit adultery, that principle is still true. When God said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that principle is still true. When God said, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, that principle is still true. We can go on and on with the teachings, the principles that the Lord laid down, many of which were reaffirmed explicitly under the New Covenant through the gospel teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are still true. It doesn't matter that they're old. They're God's words. Finally, a third line of attack, what people do. Look in verse 53. He says, hot indignation seizes in me because of the wicked who forsake your law. That is, that there are those who, on seeing and hearing God's words, say, uh-uh. That ain't for me. The word forsake implies that at one time they were there and then they abandoned it. Even today in our culture, we can look around and see many people who are at one time professing, even pastors, professing Christians, uh, prominent Christian musicians in, in the past couple of years have said, I'm not a Christian anymore. I've abandoned the faith. But the scripture speaks to that too. It tells us that those who went out from us were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out from us that it might be seen that they were not of us. I'm paraphrasing John there a little bit, First John. But the fact of the matter is that the habits of others, the, the, the practice of unfaithfulness of others can cause people sometimes to, to feel a, a, a weakness, a temptation to bolt from the faith, maybe to have their faith weakened. But notice what he says. His response is not that at all. Hot indignation seizes me, literally burning heat. When I see people falling away, it doesn't cause me to grow cold. It causes me to grow heat. A zeal arises. Notice in in opposition to the response of the world, he does not turn away from God's instructions. He takes comfort in the fact that God has rules from of old, and hot indignation seizes him. He gets, if you will, literally fired up in the face of opposition and abandonment. In fact, he goes on to say, verse 54, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. He's, he's describing that like when somebody's on the road and they're out, let's say, traveling, that's what sojourning is. They're away from home. And they go, maybe go to a, a traveler's lodge and, and the, the, the work for the day is done, and they want to, to know what to do at, at, at nighttime, passing the time before they go to bed. Maybe they would sing a song, or maybe they would go seek out entertainment and there, where there would be a singer, and they would be entertained by that. It would be that which would soothe their souls while they were away from home. But he says, your word, your law, your instructions, your statutes are what soothes my soul. They are my songs in my Home away from home. Be aware, though, that this psalmist wasn't merely talking about being on the road. He was talking about being in the world. For if you're a follower of Christ, this world is not your home. We are here but a temporary season. As David wrote in Psalm 23, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Be in the presence of God eternally. Revelation points that out to us in Revelation 21 that the day will come where there'll be a new heavens and a new earth and God himself will dwell with his people. There will no longer be a need for a sun, because the Lord himself will be the light. That's the day that's coming. That is our home, but we're here temporarily. And while we're here temporarily, the Lord's word should be our song. It could be that which is, if you will, that which soothes our souls while we are away from our eternal place. Is God's word have such a place for you? Or is it one which is easily dismissed when hardship comes, when people scorn you, when people uh, walk away from the faith? Are you tempted to follow them? My friend, seek the Lord on this. There is a need for grace from God that, that when we see such a thing occurring, rather than it Chilling our spirits, rather than it causing our faith to grow cold, it would cause us to be enlivened and to embrace the Lord. For that is the outcome of this, isn't it? Look what he goes on to say. Verse 55, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your Torah, your law, your instructions. See, the outcome of this is not merely I've gained a lot of information or I've, I've come up with a big to-do list. Verse 55 says, I remember your name. See, the outcome of these instructions and these laws is not merely to give us information. It's to lead us to the Lord. He talks about being in the night. and and For example, if you are at night, your day's duties are done. What comes to mind? If you wake up in the middle of the night, it might be the thing that you fear. It might be a, a, a problem that you're facing. Maybe that affliction you're facing right now comes to mind. He had an affliction too, but notice what came to his mind. Not just the affliction, it was the name of the Lord. See, that's our hope. The the word is not an end in itself. That's what the Lord ran into when he met the Pharisees and the scribes. They were big on rules and regulations. They liked to use the word as a book of instructions, as a book of duty, but not a book of love, not a book that pointed them to God. When the God who created the universe showed up in the person of Jesus Christ, they didn't want any part of him except to oppose him and ultimately to kill him. They did not love. They did not understand the purpose of the word. They rejected it. They saw it as an end in itself, that it might give them power and prestige. The psalmist sees that it leads him to God. What about you this morning? Does the word point you to the Lord? Do you delight in the word? And you, As you look in the word, does it cause you to lift your face to God? and to look to him with confident expectation, to trust in his promise that he will deliver you, that he will provide for you, even from the affliction that you're facing now, that's what it's meant to do. The psalmist concludes with this phrase. It's a strange phrase when you think about it. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. What does he mean that's a blessing? Shouldn't that say, Lord, I've blessed you by keeping your prefix. Lord, I've I've done this good thing for you but he says it's a blessing that's calling to him. Literally, the word blessing doesn't even appear. This is something the ESV translators have added to clarify their understanding of the verse. Literally, it says, this has fallen to me, or this has happened to me. I've kept your precepts. Lord, how did I do that? Lord, how was it that I didn't turn away when people were deriding me? How was it that I, I embraced your old word? How was it that your statutes were my songs? How was it that when people were abandoning you, I felt zealous for you because your promise gives me life. You see, our hope comes not from our ability to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, by our resolve to make ourselves strong because of our own internal inherent strength. Our strength to stand in the difficult day, to have faith in God, comes from the Lord himself. So the psalmist remembers that it is the Lord. He remembers his name in the night. That's our hope as well. Jesus, in explaining his reason for coming, in contrast to what the world had to offer, in contrast to what the evil one had to offer, said this in John 10.10, speaking of Satan and those who would follow him, who would offer alternatives to God's way, to God's word, to God's person. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal And kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The psalmist says, It is your promise that gives me life. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus didn't come just that we might have an enhanced life, He came that we might have life and then have it abundantly. God's word is a life giving promise. And that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. Look to God's word, and it will point you to him. Look to Jesus this morning. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that it is still true. Though it is literally thousands of years old, it has not lost one scintilla of its relevancy. It is not outdated. It is not to be discarded. It is not something that was a captive of its time and is no longer relevant. It is still the word that gives us hope. And we thank you and praise you for it. And we thank you that in it you have revealed the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you have indeed sent him, that he would come and give us life and life abundantly. Thank you, Lord, that even today, even as we face affliction, that your hope is still valid for us. Grant us grace, therefore, Lord, not to grow weary, not to fix our hope on something else, not to turn from your word or from your faith, not to set our hope on someone or something other than the Lord Jesus. And, Lord, we look to you for the grace to do that. And we thank you that you are a reliable and faithful Lord. Lord, I would pray this morning for each one here and those that are live streaming this, watching us on the Internet. I pray for your grace that whoever hears this, Lord, You'd be pleased to work in their hearts that they would look to you and trust in your promise. For we pray these things and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.